0: Hey folks, thanks for tuning in to the Restoration Project's weekly podcast. TRP is a church affiliated with the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship located in Salisbury, Maryland. Our current sermon series is a study on Paul's letter to the Galatians. Even though Paul was addressing theological controversies embedded within a first century Jewish context, we believe that there are some very important modern day applications. Perhaps the most notable is the sufficiency of faith in Jesus for salvation and the unity we find in him. Paul writes, So in Christ Jesus you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized in Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoy the episode.
1: Hey, how are you guys doing? It's a good looking crew. College kids, we are glad that you are back. It has been a different feel this summer without you and we're glad that you're uh, back with us. If this is your new time, this is your new time here and your first time at the new (laughs) church time, we would like to say welcome to you. I had this big spiel all planned out, Sarah, and it just went out the window, but this is what I wanted to say to you, regardless of where you have come from, regardless of what you have heard, regardless of the situations and circumstances that have brought you into this place, I would like to begin by telling you that you are a loved child of the Most High God. I think at times we, we miss that fact. And for some of you, I know that there's a backstory and there's things that maybe have weighed on you as you come back into church, perhaps. And this isn't just for college students. This spans the entire uh, sanctuary. If you are here with, with, a, with a weight on your shoulders, just please hear that you are a loved child of the Most High God. We are glad that you guys are here with us. We are starting a brand new sermon series on the book of Galatians, and I am absolutely pumped about this. We have spent a lot of time in the Old Testament, and as a student, that's where I've spent most of my days in class, learning about the Old Testament, but we are getting back to our roots in the New Testament. I can assure you, couple of years ago or a year and a half ago, we did a sermon series on the book of Mark and we spent about 56 weeks in the book of Mark. This is a smaller book. So we have tried to f- find books that are a bit smaller, but this one is going to stretch us a little bit. There was a line in one of the songs that we sang earlier this evening that was something about turning off our brains and experiencing things. That's how I heard it anyway. I don't think it was quite that <laughs> terrible. But it was something to that to that effect. Meredith shaking her head, no absolutely not. But I, I know for me like as an academic and as a scholar, a lot of times I approach the text from a very nerdy, a very heady, a very academic place. And for some of you college students, perhaps you've had a week of lectures and you've heard stuff and then you come here and you get another kind of mini lecture. And I think that there is something to that where we can experience Jesus. And that's my hope throughout this sermon series, that we experience Jesus together. Now, having said that, you know who I am. And you know that we're gonna get some work done as we go about our business here in the book of Galatians. So I'm just gonna jump in and begin reading Galatians chapter one. We're gonna read the first nine verses and that's gonna set the tone for us as we think through uh, this selection of uh, verses this evening. This is Galatians one, beginning in verse one. It says, Paul, an apostle, sent not from men nor by a man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brothers and sisters with me, to the churches in Galatia, Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into a confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. As we have already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. The word of God for the people of God. So there was this pastor and theologian that was uh, living throughout the 20th century. He was very well known in evangelical circles, perhaps one of the most important minds of the 20th century. He says this about reading the Bible. He says, whenever we pick up the Bible and read it, we are consciously stepping back two millennia or in the case of the Old Testament, even more. We travel backwards in time until we find ourselves in an alien world which long ago ceased to exist. That is John Stott writing in contemporary Christianity. And this is something that we at the Restoration Project take really seriously. When we attempt to read the Bible, it's not just that we open up the Bible and begin to read and just immediately apply it to our lives. There's some work that needs to be done if we are to apply the Bible well. Namely, we have to explore in the Old Testament its ancient Near Eastern historical and literary and canonical context. Can I hear a big amen? And if we're looking at the New Testament, we have to understand a text within its first century Jewish context. Can I hear a big amen? Amen, a lot of times though we forget that and we just go to the Bible for devotional purposes, attempting to hear something from God in that moment. And I don't wanna say that that is wrong, but a lot of times if it's just left to me and to my own interpretation, I am going to be led astray. And if it's just up to me trying to understand a text that was written maybe 2000 years ago in a cultural context that is so different from my own, I'm gonna to struggle to understand what in the world is going on. Particularly when we look to the book of Galatians, this can be the case. I've had this graphic though on the screen because I wanted to point your attention to something. This is, um, Tessa, if you don't know, she's like super subtle. A lot of times we try to, to get the audience to participate and see what kind of um, graphics you guys like. And sometimes, sometimes, sometimes she is a bit perturbed that what seems to be the general populace, we like really overt and really clear symbols. We like things that we can understand right off the bat. Something that just says the restoration project and doesn't have like all these little symbols hidden somewhere along the way. You know what I mean? You can turn your brain off and just kind of understand what's what's going on here. But sometimes Tesla likes to go a little bit deeper than that. And in this graphic right here, we have some houses that seem to be a first century Jewish type house on the bottom, setting the foundation for the houses on the top, which, interestingly enough, are taken straight from our downtown Salisbury skyline. Can we call it a skyline? No. We have an airport, though, so... If there's a crop duster going by, it's a skyline and whatever. But we've taken the design from those buildings and and vectored it, because that's what graphic artists do. They vector things so that we can see them here in church. And we've got that first century Jewish context laying the framework and the foundation for the things that we then apply to the text in our 21st century, very Western, very American, very Salisbury, in a lot of places, context. And this is what we do when we read the Bible. We attempt to explore what's going on in the text so that we can understand how to apply it in our own setting and circumstance. Now, what makes this difficult for us as we go to the book of Galatians, we're reading somebody else's mail, so to speak. This is a letter that Paul has written to a specific church at a specific time with regard to a specific issue. One scholar, perhaps my favorite commentary that I've been digging into here recently, Richard Hayes says, as we read Paul's angry and passionate letter to the churches of Galatia. Now, first of all, we usually don't go to the text and see like, man, Paul's really ticked. But Paul is really ticked in this letter. And we're we're gonna explore why that is. But here, as we begin to read Paul's angry and passionate letter to the churches of Galatia, we find that we have entered an argument already underway. Galatians is not a general theological treatise. That's a big, wordy, commentary, biblical scholar jargon for saying this is not just about overarching principles. This is not just about timeless theological truths. Instead, it is an urgent pastoral letter written to a specific cluster of churches at a moment of crisis. In the first century, embedded within a Jewish Christian culture that is foreign to us as we sit here in Salisbury. So for us, we have to get underneath the surface and figure out what's going on. The problem is within Galatians, because Paul is addressing an issue that was particularly uh, pointed to a specific church body, he doesn't give us all the details that we need 2,000 years later to understand what he's talking about. So we have to take the details and try to reconstruct the circumstance and the setting in which Paul is writing to make sense of what's going on. That's our important first step is to try to figure out the lay of the land so that when we make application, we're making application in a way that is appropriate to us and to our context, okay? So we find that right off the bat, there's some difficulties that are going on in the book of Galatians with regard to how we're going to apply this. But in order to understand why Paul is so ticked, I want to kind of lay a a framework for what's going on in this passage, okay? Paul. Paul is a missionary to the Gentiles. Peter is a missionary to uh, the Jews and Paul is a missionary to the Gentiles. Gentiles are basically anybody who is not Jewish at this time. And Paul is going to invite these people in to a new relationship with Jesus. He's going to invite people in to understanding the significance of the death and resurrection of Jesus and how they can now become part of the family, which up to this point had been reserved only for Jewish followers. This had been uh, reserved for people that would go through cultural rites like circumcision. And all the men in the room said, ooh. Okay, it was just me and Brady, but I mean, the rest of you can, can get in there. And that hopefully that makes the graphic make a little bit more sense behind me. Now can we all say a corporate, ooh, okay. So it's, it's about if you want to become part of the family, you have to go through these certain religious rites, circumcision, eating the right kinds of food. Throughout the Old Testament law, there were certain foods that Israel was allowed to eat and there were certain foods that Israel was not allowed to eat, certain foods that were clean and certain foods that were unclean. And this is how people were able to separate themselves from the Gentiles or from the non-Jewish people or from not God's people, if you will. There's also rules about the Sabbath and keeping the Sabbath. So so from sundown on Friday to sundown on Saturday, the ways that the Jewish believers lived looked very different than the people around them. And up until this point, people were preaching a gospel that included Jesus, but it also at times included some of these laws, being circumcised, eating the right food, having the right people at your table as you're eating the right food observing the Sabbath laws in a certain way. And Paul comes along and says, through Jesus, it's all different. It's all been changed. All you have to do is believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the one that we've been waiting for, the one who is ushering in the very kingdom of God, who is allowing us to experience life and hope and forgiveness. And we don't have to go through the sacrificial system anymore. We don't have to be circumcised anymore. We don't have to eat the right kinds of food or sit at the right kinds of table with the right kinds of people or obey Sabbath laws anymore. It's totally different because Jesus has showed up. Isn't that good news? Isn't that good news? Isn't that good news? (laughs) Paul is preaching this gospel to people that had no background in Judaism. And they were beginning to accept this message as something that was hope filled because now they could be part of the family of God. So my little intro, you guys are beloved children of the most high God. That's not something that people would have said way back when. They would have said you're, you would be if you do X, Y, and Z. But through Jesus, everything has changed and this is Paul's message of hope and peace through Jesus. Now think for a second as a normal Jewish Christian at this time and your boy Paul is going around to all of these places saying, We have freedom in Jesus. We don't have to obey the law in the way that you think that we have to obey the law. You don't have to be circumcised. You don't have to become one of us. All you have to do is believe in Jesus. And just imagine the ire and the uncomfortability that that might have wrought in some of the Jewish Christian adherents at that time, saying, now, wait a second, Paul. You've lost it a bit here. You've kind of lost touch. Paul, as he's going out and and evangelizing all these people with the good news of the gospel, which we'll get back to, when Paul leaves Galatia, kind of leaving the the believers there, they've experienced the, the Holy Spirit, they've experienced the gospel, they've accepted Jesus, they've placed their faith in him, they've heard what Paul has taught, and then Paul leaves to go plant other churches elsewhere. I don't, I don't know about Doug, but we've had enough of, of a time planting this one church here. So I know Paul, when he's off going planting all these churches, man, hats off to Paul because he's got, he probably got to be writing a lot, of, a lot of cool letters and stuff to people to deal with some things. But as Paul is going off to plant these other churches, some of these Jewish Christians over here from a different bent sneak over to Galatia and say, listen, I know what you heard was Cool. I know what you heard was really good news about freedom and Jesus. Yeah, but about that, you're still gonna have to be circumcised. You're still gonna have to eat the right food. You're still gonna have to obey the Sabbath. Paul was misguided. Paul was wrong. Paul got too big for his britches. N.T. Wright, when he's uh, referring to this series of events, he's putting words in the mouths of these Jewish, now don't miss this, these are Jewish Christians. This is not Paul the Christian versus Judaism. This is Paul the Christian versus the Jewish Christians that are also accepting Jesus, but they're accepting Jesus plus circumcision and food laws and Sabbath and all of these things. There's, There's an what scholars are calling an intra-Christian debate. It's two Christian positions vying for acceptance. Paul is in uh, conversation with these Jewish Christians, but how N.T. Wright describes their thought process, they say, oh, they've said, Paul didn't really know what he was doing. And you can get into trouble for that kind of thing. In any case, Paul just got his funny ideas about freedom and Jesus and forgiveness by muddling up things that other people have said to him. We've got it from the real authorities. Now, this is the Jewish Christian people over here that are claiming their authority from Jerusalem, like the the center of all things Christendom at the time. And they're coming over to Galatians saying, Paul's a mess. He was wrong. We're the real authorities. You've got to do X, Y, and Z. For Paul, it was just about Jesus. It was just about his death and his resurrection. It was just about the life that we experience through him. It was just about the forgiveness that is available to us by believing and confessing that Jesus is Lord and that God has ushered in his kingdom and we can experience it and participate in it and become agents of justice and hope and reconciliation. For Paul, that's all that it was about. For these other Jewish Christian missionaries that that show up, some people would talk about how they have deficient views of Jesus because for them it wasn't just about Jesus. Jesus wasn't enough. It had to be Jesus plus the law, Jesus plus circumcision, Jesus plus eating the right food, Jesus plus Sabbath laws. They also had deficient views on the spirit. So for Paul, he would say, people are experiencing the spirit. We can see that. We can see how people's lives are changed through the gospel. We we are seeing how they are becoming new people and they have Christ indwelling in them. But for these other Jewish Christian missionaries, they would say, well, we can't really trust that. We've got to go back to the law where it's written. We've got to keep these things X, Y, and Z. And they also had deficient views on the church. The church was not one faith. Family. For Paul, it was everybody united under the beautiful banner of Christ and his death and his resurrection. But for the Jewish Christian, it was like, well, yeah, but you guys are gonna have to go into a separate room, at least, if we're gonna have any chance of worshiping. So like the Gentile Christians, you've got to go over there because the real Christians are the Jewish Christians. Is this strike an accord with any of you in our particular social climate? We are separating people groups from the real family of God. And there's also a deficient view on eschatology. That's a fancy word for like the end, not just the scary end like Armageddon type crazy stuff. I mean like the end where Jesus's death and resurrection has brought in a completely new and radical way of living and understanding what God is up to in the world. But for these Jewish Christian missionaries, it was not that. It was Jesus, but The law is still pretty important stuff. So we still need to keep that going. With all of this background, check out what verses one through nine now sound like, knowing what Paul is going through, knowing that Paul's status and authority is on the chopping block here where people have come over to his churches that he's planted and said, yeah, Paul was a mess. Paul was nuts. Paul didn't really know what he was talking about. You've got to get circumcised. You've got to do all these things. The very first thing that Paul says is, Paulos, apostolos, get out my face, Paul, an apostle, deal with it. Like he start, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read into Paul a little bit here because from other stories within the, within the New Testament, we see Paul, he's got a little bit of a chip on his shoulder. And he says, Paul, an apostle. Don't forget that. Paul, an apostle, who is not sent from men or by a man. Paul, an apostle sent by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead that's me. And I've got some stuff on my mind, people. I've got some stuff that I need to say to you right now. What Paul is doing, he is reverting his authority, not to himself, but to the one that has called him to Jesus who showed up to him on the road to Damascus as Paul or then named Saul was going to find people that believed in Jesus to bind them and bring them back to Jerusalem so he could kill them meets Jesus on the road and there's this blight, blight light, there's a bright light (laughs) and Paul sees it and out of that light speaks a voice, Paul, why are you persecuting me? Do you think that, I mean, just to read in for a second, do you think that if that happened, that your, your worldview might change a touch? For Paul, he's in a completely different place now, and he's going back to this moment where everything has changed for him. One scholar, F.F. Bruce, says few of Saul, or you can think of Paul's distinctive insights into the significance of the gospel cannot be traced back to this Damascus Road event where he sees this bright, shining light and the voice of Jesus saying, why are you persecuting me? It can be traced back to this event or to the outworking of that event in his life and in his thought. The things that Paul is talking about, the way that he is talking about the gospel, it goes back to this one single moment where he has met Jesus and has been commissioned by Jesus to go and to be a missionary to the Gentiles. We talk, and even and I used this language a few weeks ago, we talk of this moment as Paul's conversion. And sometimes we think of Paul converting from Judaism to Christianity, but it's better thought of as a commissioning where Paul is being commissioned to something. He is being sent to someone with this news of hope. Paul continues, Paul, an apostle, not sent by men or by a man, but by Jesus Christ. Heard of him? That guy. Yeah, he sent me here to you. Grace and peace to you. I love that because he's, you might not hear it, but he's, he's feisty and there's a little bit of an edge to it. And perhaps I'm, I'm over, I'm over preaching it a bit here, but grace and peace to you from God, our father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age. This is weird for Paul. He usually just says grace and peace to whoever, but here he is expounding on what the grace and the peace symbolizes and signifies. And here it is grace and peace because of God, the father, and because of the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present. Evil age. Woo! You know where this is leading? Woo! If you've been here a few weeks, you might have heard of this before. We're getting ready to talk about inaugurated eschatology (laughs) because it is important, people. Jewish eschatology, they had this this framework, this mindset of, we are now living in this age, but at some point, God is going to show up through the work of his Messiah, through the one that God is sending to usher in the age to come. That is what everybody has been waiting for. And what Paul is saying is, because of Jesus, now watch the graphics, this is gonna be cool, watch it. Bam, because of Jesus, because of Jesus and his death and his resurrection, because of that event and how it has completely turned everything on its head, we are now living not in just this present evil age, but Jesus has in a sense rescued us from the present evil age and allowed us to experience the kingdom and life and hope. We talk about bringing heaven to earth here and now through our actions and our words and our deeds, and we get to become ambassadors of this new message of hope through Christ. We are not confined to this present evil age, even though when we turn on our news feeds, whichever news feed you decide to go to, it is going to be filled with the atrocities of this world. But as followers of Jesus, we have been in a sense not removed from experiencing those or not removed from trying to address those, but we have been removed because of the grace that we have through Jesus, not just to be confined to this present evil age, but to experience heaven here and now through Jesus. That is an amen-worthy bit of preaching there, people, I think. Amen. But we have this, this moment here in this inaugurated eschatology where Jesus has brought the end to bear here and now, and we get to experience the age to come. One scholar says, as a result of Christ's death, Paul proclaims, we have been liberated from the destructive power of the world as we have known it. Or again, same scholar, this is Richard Hayes. He says, Jesus's death does not simply procure the forgiveness of sins. Don't misunderstand that. That is a massive, beautiful truth of the gospel. When we place our faith and our trust in Jesus, we are allotted forgiveness. We are allowed to be... um, free that is a huge point of the gospel but it goes farther than that we are oftentimes too content to be resigned to right here what Jesus' death and his resurrection does for me but paul would say go past yourself Jesus' death does not simply procure the forgiveness of sins, rather it transposes us into an entirely new reality, liberating us from the power of the present evil age, and this is what we can invite other people into, to experiencing something here, and now it is not just a gospel about where we go when we die, it is about a gospel that is fundamentally transforming the world around us here And now, and this is what Paul is saying, for Paul, everything has changed because of Jesus, because of his death and his resurrection, because of his life well-lived, because of everything that Jesus has done, it has changed. The old has gone. Circumcision, law, food laws, um, Sabbath laws, those things, they have gone, and now we are living in the midst of a new era brought on by Jesus himself. Grace and peace. Grace and peace. In every other... uh, letter that Paul has written, he moves from Paul, I'm writing to these people, grace and peace. He usually launches into a, a thanksgiving for the people. I'm so thankful for you guys. Like, for example, in Romans 1, first, of, before anything, I just want to thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, the people that I'm writing to, because your faith is being reported all over the world. Great job, everybody. Good work. First Corinthians 1, I always thank my God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. For in him you have been enriched in every way with all kinds of speech and with all knowledge. God, thus confirming our testimony about Christ among you. Great job, everybody. Philippians 1, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Great job, Philippians. Nice work. Colossians 1, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all of God's people. Grace and peace to you, church in Galatia. I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting the things that you once thought were good. There there is no thanksgiving here. Paul just launches straight in from grace and peace to you into this diatribe. I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and you're turning to a different gospel. Grace and peace. What the are you guys doing? (laughs) I've been gone for, what, a few months, maybe a year, and now you're, what is happening? This is not the time of Twitter, or like Facebook Messenger, or text, and I still know that you guys are being ridiculous. Come on now. Grace and peace, but seriously. like He he skips over this, this Thanksgiving into, what in the world? Why are you so quickly deserting this good news for something that is subpar, for something that's not even good news at all? For Paul, he says, there is no other gospel than Christ and Christ crucified, Christ risen from the dead. There is no other gospel than the life and the hope that we have through him when we can pledge ourselves to following him when we understand his lordship, when we understand that his kingdom is here and now, when we understand that God is reigning and has initiated that reign through the death and resurrection of his son, there is no other gospel. Why are you going to Jesus plus circumcision or Jesus plus food laws or Jesus plus anything? All you need, Galatian Christians, is Jesus, period. Scott McKnight says, what Paul was opposing was the perversion of the gospel expressed by, we could call it by these Jewish Christian missionaries in their Christ plus something gospel. All right, we've, we've laid out the framework as to what's going on in these first nine verses. And hopefully that's given us new life as to what Paul is talking about. He's, he's angsty. He's got a little bit of an edge to him. He's kind of ticked off. People have attacked his, his status and his authority as an apostle. People have attacked his, his gospel. People have gone back and retaught the things that he was teaching them. And they've done a pretty crappy job at it, according to Paul. They've perverted the gospel. And now he's, he's trying to figure out what in the world is going on. And for... Um, John Stott, he would say, I forgot to to mention this phrase here, but when he talks about reading that ancient context and then trying to apply it, it it requires us to do something called double listening where we're understanding the ancient first century Jewish context of the new Testament. And then we're able to apply it in our own context. And here, if we now have an understanding of why Paul is writing the book of Galatians and seeing what's going on with the Jewish Christian missionaries and how the churches of Galatia have adopted these bad ideas about what the gospel is, it can lead us to these questions that we have about the gospel and he writes says for paul the gospel it isn't a system of salvation or a new way of being religious it's the announcement that jesus the crucified messiah is the exalted lord of the whole world and therefore he is calling into existence a single worldwide family what do we add to the gospel what is it in our own way of framing this do we add to being seen as accepted in the eyes of God. Perhaps for some of us, it is this this legalistic sort of understanding where it's not just about Jesus because I'm a terrible person, so I've got to do all these things. Perhaps you grew up in a a Christian sort of framework where it was very um, legalistic and the things that you had to go through, it wasn't just about grace that you find in Jesus. It was about wearing the right clothes, saying the right things, not saying certain things, not smoking, not drinking, not cussing, not all of these things. Perhaps that's how you feel that you could finally be accepted by God through Jesus. Perhaps there are things that we add to our understanding of the good news of the gospel. Who do we exclude from the gospel? For one of Paul's biggest points is there is no separation between Gentile Christians or non-Jewish Christians and the Jewish Christians. There isn't like separate rooms that they should go in and worship. There aren't separate tables where they should eat different food. This is where all people can gather together, united under the banner of Jesus, his death and his resurrection. But who in our lives have we excluded from our tables and from accepting the gospel. Perhaps for some of us, it might be certain people groups or people with certain hang-ups or people with certain things going on in their lives. But for others of us, it might just be people that we don't like, people that have hurt us, people that we feel don't deserve our forgiveness. And we've kind of pushed them off to the side, pushed them away from our table and said, there's no way on earth God could forgive them. And I don't even want him to. What do we add to the gospel? because we don't understand the grace that Jesus has has allowed us to experience, and who do we exclude from the gospel? Are we able to say it's just Jesus? Are we able to say that it's just our faith in Christ that unites us, or is it our faith in Christ plus these five doctrinal beliefs? is it our faith in Christ plus the way that we think about communion or baptism or creation or fill in the blank with these certain kind of hot button topics is yeah i mean Jesus is cool but lutherans really Jesus is cool but i mean there are some pretty crazy episcopalians out there who do we exclude from our fellowship and from our table claiming that we have the right and the better gospel. And when we say these things, are we adding things that shouldn't be there? For us, when we think about this book and when we think about what Paul is really arguing for and seeing how completely um, forward-thinking, and yes, I'm I'm saying that this first century Jewish Pharisee is forward-thinking, but what he seems to be doing is inviting people that don't belong into the family of God and it begs the question when was the last time we were inviting people that did not seem to belong into the family of God I was having coffee with a pastor this past week And oddly enough, it was a pastor that I was expecting to be at odds with theologically and was very surprised in our conversation. The week of preparing for this unity in Jesus and we should all be at the same table, and I go into this meeting thinking like, oh, I don't know how this is going to go, because there are some crazy Episcopalians out there, you know what I mean? But we were sitting down and he was having this conversation about, about baptism and how he was encouraging his people that being in the tank, they were um, a Baptist church that so was completely immersing people. He was saying being in the tank with, with people should be a regular duty of you, not just me, because the conversations that we're having with people are filled with gospel filled with an invitation, if we actually believe that this is good stuff, filled with an invitation to peace and hope and forgiveness through Christ. And I thought about our last couple of baptisms that had been canceled because we're not baptizing anybody. And I thought, well, I'll keep that tidbit to myself. And This isn't like a guilt trip moment for us, and it's not a guilt trip moment for me because I believe that we are free through Jesus. However, I do want us to realize that these are the sorts of things that we should be living for. The invitation that we have where people can be sitting across the table from us and experiencing something that we have experienced as well and having the the unity that comes through Jesus. and Perhaps we have just kind of hung our, our coat on We are academic or we are heady and we are setting first century Jewish context. But if we don't go beyond that, people, we're missing the heart of what Paul was arguing for. This is beautiful and good news that we get to participate with Jesus in new creation as it is happening here and now as the world is being restored through the work that Jesus has done. My hope and my prayer is not just that we take that to heart and we receive that and we get rid of the barriers that are keeping us from accepting Jesus or following Jesus, but we also move to allowing people to see that transformation in our lives, allowing people to hear our stories, not in a guilt-ridden way, but just in a way where we're excited to share it because it's actually something that has taken root in our lives, to become as excited about this kind of stuff as Paul saying, this is a message that is for everyone. Regardless of where you come from, regardless of where you were last night, regardless of where you think you are and what your worth is according to yourself or according to your parents or according to your boyfriend or girlfriend, husband or wife, according to your teachers, all of that fails in comparison to the God of the universe saying, I want you. I want to be in relationship with you. I want you to experience peace and love and hope and it's freely offered. Let's pray. God, we ask that as we begin to journey through the book of Galatians, that you would inspire us to not just look at the first century Jewish context of this fabulous letter, but also to to move beyond to see how we can be challenged and we can be uh, convicted and how we can be shaped and transformed because of it. God, I ask tonight that for the people that are within the sound of my voice that are wrestling with... um, identity and self-worth and just feeling like they aren't good enough, that you would allow them to hear perhaps for the first time your voice or the move of your spirit calling to them, saying that you do in fact want to be with them, that your presence is here and that you are, you are desirous of a relationship with them, and that the only thing that it takes is for us to understand that you are Lord and that you are King and that your kingdom is is coming to this place and that you are asking us to be a part of it. God, for those in the room that have ostracized and excluded people for whatever reason, bring conviction. Help us to understand that that is not the gospel that your son gave himself for. Help us to understand that that is not living in a manner worthy of the calling that we have received. Help us to understand that that is not something that embodies your good news. God, forgive us for our selfishness. Forgive us of our pride. Forgive us of the barriers that we have built. Help us to be bold and help us to be encouraged to work harder with those relationships and to invite people into this story. God, we ask that over these next few weeks as we dig into this letter that you would reveal things about ourselves that are true and that are difficult. As we pray each week, help us to be conformed into the image of your son. And in that process of molding and shaping, may we trust you. God, as we move into this time of uh, communion, may we experience your presence May some of the doubts that we have fall away. May some of the questions that we have be silenced. Surprise us, God. We pray these things all in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: Thanks again for listening. We invite you to join us in Salisbury for one of our weekly services on Sunday evenings at 5.30 p.m. Whatever your story, there's room for you here. Again, if you'd like more information, please visit our website at RestoreSBY.org. See you next week.